Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Audible presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman. And Bruce, we want to get to some really good emails uh, this week. Um, I just wanted to bring on people who may have remembered last year. So John Hayes, our producer, is a Penn State alum. Does this, and, by the way, make him stew? Usually we refer to whoever comes on as a special guest. Let's call John an unspecial guest. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> We'll he's proceed to bring him on for the purpose you're proceeding to bring. He's him usually on. listening in anyway, but uh, so John's Penn State alum. And, and I remember last year when James Franklin got his big contract, we talked about it on here and John came on. And he was not happy about it. Right. Not happy about the direction of the program, et cetera, et cetera. So John was at the Penn State Auburn game. He drove there and we talked about it on Sunday. That was an impressive performance by the Nittany Lions. It's got people talking about uh, whether they might even be a dark horse playoff team. So, I mean, John, you're, you tell us, like, how are, how are you feeling about things right now? Well, I'm feeling fantastic considering any time a Big Ten team goes down to an SEC st- stadium and wins 41 to 12, it's, it's a nice banner in the, uh, in, in the facility for any Big Ten program. But, yeah, if you guys want me to eat crow, it's not going to happen today, you know. Um, all I'll say this is – Congratulations, Penn State beat Purdue on the road on the final drive. You know, Purdue is not the the Ohio State Buckeyes, not the Michigan Wolverines, not Michigan State. That, that's a game that Penn State should win every season. They beat Ohio at home. And, yeah, they, they trounced over an Auburn team that I've heard people talk about for the last six months as being a, a team that's completely – in disarray. So while I'm impressed with the 3-0 start and I'm daring to dream about a 5-0 start considering they're playing Central Michigan, they're playing Northwestern, and then they've got to go on the road at Michigan October 15th. If Penn State wins that game against Michigan on October 15th, I will I will say that I was way out of line saying that James Franklin was 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 not somebody who could leave this program for the next 10 seasons. That would, that would be, in my opinion, his best win as, as a Penn State head coach. And then he's got Ohio State at even, home. Even bigger than beating Ohio State the year they won the, they, they won the Big Ten championship? problem with winning that Big Ten championship, Bruce, is that it left a salty taste in everybody's mouth because Ohio State still went to the playoff that year, not Penn State. But, uh, you know, I would argue that that was the because going into that game, I felt like just remembering it, there were a lot of people like, yeah, this isn't going great or whatever. And then all of a sudden it flipped everything. So I don't think we're anywhere near here without that. I don't disagree with some of what you said. I mean, to get to that point, I think that, you know, beating Michigan would be a big statement win. Um, 
how do you feel? I know you're not a huge fan of Sean Clifford. You guys are about the same age. You probably went to start it went to orientation with him um how do you feel about him now he's played pretty well when he's been in the game the the difference in in play on saturday bruce was was quarterback play like there was no doubt about it that that clifford managed the game well and he ran the offense to perfection it's his second year in the system and i expected to see drew aller at some point on saturday but it was actually auburn who was flip-flopping their quarterback situation. It was Auburn that looked like the team without a quarterback, not Penn State. So I've got to say there's no doubt that Sean Clifford has stepped up his game so far this year. He's probably heard all the noise, right? It's impossible not to hear all the noise. If 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 you're an upperclassman, you know what people have been talking about, sixth year in the program, the reason why you're there is because you're not good enough to leave. Um, there's no way he hasn't heard all of that. And, and I, I do want to go back to something that I did say positively about James Franklin, and I think that the reason why this team has been playing well this year, I called him the best recruiter in Penn State history. Now, you're not going up, you're not going up against a lot of guys in that conversation, but at the same time, think about the five-star freshman at the running back position, Singleton. Like, he's made a huge difference for this squad. And thinking about the future of the squad with Drew Aller, all of a sudden, Franklin has – short-term success and potential long-term success. He's flipped the script in three weeks, right? I'll, I'll tell you guys that, but there's, there's a world where in five weeks from now, we have the same conversation and they still can't beat Michigan, still can't beat Ohio State and struggle down the stretch and end up with a nine and three record, which isn't Terrible, but it'd be nice to get 10. Can you be be perfectly honest with what I'm about to say? Yes. There's a world, and you just laid it out. Are you more comfortable living in that world than the one Stu is trying to take you to? Yeah, I mean, I just, it seems like a miserable fan existence where anything short of, of, you know, national title type relevance, you're not happy with. Well, when you have to live in Ohio State's shadow 365 days a year, that sort of thing weighs on you, guys. Like, you know, all you hear about all offseason is Ryan Day, Ohio State, best team in the country, going to win the national championship. Penn State doesn't get mentioned except for in a negative light about their six-year quarterback who can't play. So, I, listen, I, I won't lie to you guys. I'm daring to dream, right? Like, that, that would be the phrase that I use, like – if I'm gonna if I'm gonna dream about Penn State having a great year, I'm gonna dare to dream. I'm gonna dare to dream that that whiteout against Ohio State on Halloween weekend is gonna be the best environment in college football, and Penn State pulls the upset, and there will be nobody happier that night than me. <laughs> like truthfully, but it's just so hard after so many years. When when the the difference is right when you think about when you talk about Auburn, right? And I would consider myself a, an Auburn fan as well. You know, my, my wife went to Auburn. I've been to more Auburn games in the last five years than I had uh, Penn State. You know, they call Auburn Alabama's little brother. Uh, they live in Alabama's shadow. The difference with Auburn is, is they'll have years where they go out there. They, they win national championships. They play for national championships in the last 10, 12 years. Penn State hasn't had that. They're living in Ohio State's shadow. They're the team that's been to the playoff. They're the team that's won the national championship, and we haven't had a chance to do that. So at some point, 
Um, I, I would love to compete with them on a regular basis, but I know that's difficult to do. Difficult to get out of their shadow. That's why when Michigan beat Ohio State at home last year, you know, Penn State fans looked at that, and then they go to the playoff. Man, that's what we want to do. And Michigan's now doing that, not us. Uh, the Big Ten East is a really tough division. All right, well, we wish, we wish you luck. Yeah, I mean, you know, good luck. Um, you know, we feel for you. Like, you know, you have our, you have our best wishes. You know, having to deal with these nine and three seasons, we're, we're just so – our sympathy goes out to you. And well, uh, yeah. I, I appreciate you guys, like, leading the show today with, with my hot takes, which I'm sure nobody listening to the show wants to hear any more about. Um, but, but they do want to hear about it, and I want to hear more about this five-star prospect from Georgia. I know you guys have worked on this incredible story about T.A. Cunningham and his, his father, Terrence Cunningham. It's, it's made the rounds this week is one of those stories that pops and makes you realize how crazy college football has become in the NIL era. Can, can you guys fill me in on, on how this came about and all the little dirty details around this, this recruiting story that's absolutely wild? Yeah. So first of all, you know, thank you for, for, for being interested in it. Um, myself, Bruce and Andy Staples teamed up on it. We, we worked really hard on it. Um, you know, came together fairly quickly last week. TA, the, the, we hope people go to the athletic and read the full story. Obviously um, the, the quick synopsis, TA Cunningham, highest rated defensive lineman in the 2024 class uh, from, from Atlanta. Um, all of a sudden this summer though, he moved to California with his little brother. Uh, and the reason, the primary reason is that California, you can make NIL money in high school in Georgia, you cannot. So in the story, we detail, um, both his father's, uh, you know, kind of obsession, if you will, with, with making that money, he, he and his family unfortunately have been evicted recently, um, and then all of the various players in the NIL space who tried to cash in on this kid. Um, and unfortunately, the end result is he has no NIL money. He's technically considered homeless because his family's back in Atlanta and he doesn't have a permanent residence. And right now he's ineligible to play high school football at his new school, Los Alamitos, as they investigate whether he was basically recruited to go there. So, um I just think it's, you know, I've heard from a lot of people. I'm sure you have too, Bruce. And everybody's like, this is so sad. You know, what what a sad situation. Um, it's kind of the, while we both obviously support NIL and, and the athlete's ability to make money, unfortunately, the reality is there's kids that are getting taken advantage of who are getting bad advice. And this is a, a, a particularly extreme case. Yeah, one of the things that has come out of this, Stu, I've noticed is I've heard from people who work in college athletics and they, you know, I, I feel like this maybe is a bigger inside baseball story than maybe, you know, maybe it's a little harder for people. You know, when we say the names, you know, Mike Caspino or Justin Giangrande or Darren Heitner, I'm not sure how much they mean to, to most big football fans. You have to really follow recruiting. I mean, and plus all three of those guys were non-factors or really non-entities. John, just uh, Darren Heitner was on social media and you'd hear him kind of almost looking for a platform to, to be attached to over the last decade. But Mike Caspino came out of nowhere and did a huge deal for Nico 
um, got him millions of dollars to go to Tennessee. And then he was attached to Jaden Rashada. And he's definitely a character that you, know, you talk to people around college athletics on the, on the football side. They don't have a lot of favorable things to say about how he operates. And you hear similar about some of these other characters. And the more that we've gotten, you know, since the stories come out, I've heard from people who are like, hey, can we talk to you? Can I talk to you a little about this? Because these guys are get trying to get close to to a lot of student athletes and they're leveraging people and i think that um that's that's a little different than what it you know that's this is kind of the underbelly of the nil world that has come out and when you have some of these characters and again a couple of these guys are lawyers and they have they are standing to make a lot of money jumping into this void that's right now with nil um, and so we got in that story. I think what was what you know what was interesting to me, certainly as we started working on it, was knowing a little bit about both of those guys, Heitner and Caspino, are on opposite sides of the country. They're both attorneys. As I said, neither one really had much of a presence in the college football world until this, and they have this feud that flares up at times on social media. And I feel like to, to a some degree and to a large degree, this thing got in the got in the middle of that feud, which you see, which, you know, in our reporting definitely escalated um, from what we saw. And I think that is a big part of this this story, too. And again, 17 year old just turned 17 year old T.A. Cunningham is caught in the middle of all of it. And that's the part that is, I think, you know, people need to stay on and circle on because, you know, as as Andy, you know, pointed out to us in the story, you know, this is the first lawsuit of this kind, but there's probably going to be a lot more coming down the pipeline. The lawsuit, by the way, actually is not against any of the people you just mentioned. Caspino is actually representing him in the lawsuit is against CIF, the the federation that runs California high school athletics, um, who's ruled him ineligible. And by the way, we haven't, you know, you just mentioned all these names and we didn't even get to coach frog, uh, the, the, um, trainer, uh, in California, who has trained Bryce Young, DJ Uyunglele, uh, many many prominent uh, players, and he he is team here was teamed with Justin Dean Grande, that agent. And so when Big Rev, as as TA's dad calls himself, uh, sent his son two thousand miles away, that was who took him in initially. And last month, uh, he was arrested on some very disturbing charges. Um, and then once we, we found out about, you know, as soon as that came out that he'd been arrested, um, it came out that way back in 2010, this guy who has had all this access to, I mean, he, he coaches middle schoolers. He's coached these, these, uh, guys we talked about now he's coaching the Cunningham brothers, uh, in 2010 went on trial for, uh, abduct or kidnapping charges of kidnapping, um, and, and raping an intoxicated woman. So um, the fact that he was able to get this close to these guys that, I mean, he took TA Cunningham on, on recruiting visits this summer and now he's arrested. So um, just very disturbing. I hope people will read it. And obviously I'm, this is not the end of the story. We're going to find out soon if, if he's going to be ruled eligible or not. Um, uh, you know, as you the, these figures that you mentioned are not going away. And, you know, just in the last couple of days, I've had people texting about all these other 
um, schemers, if you will, who are trying to get their hands in the NIL space. I think because it's new and nobody, you know, it's kind of being invented on the fly. Um, anybody and everyone is trying to cash in. And, uh, and I don't, from what I can tell, none of them really have the, the best interests of the players uh, in mind. In terms of college football, actual college football going on right now, I think the best way to get into that is the mailbag. As always, send your questions to the audiblepod at gmail.com. The first question, Stu, I don't know if this is the first one you want to answer, but it's the first one I'm going to ask you, is from Brandon Newkirk in Gloucester, Virginia. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, good morning, Bruce and Stu. Many, maybe most, if not all, SEC schools are willing to fire head coaches very early in their tenures, regardless of the buyout amount. Some are even willing to damage the reputation of the institution to get rid of the coach. See Tennessee and Auburn. Conversely, most would argue, no, I'm sorry. Conversely, most would agree USC, Nebraska, and Arizona State all recently waited too long to make a change. What is the right answer? That's, that's a good question. It is a good question. And I think, look, I don't think you can group it all. I think each situation is a little bit different, but he's right in that. I think we knew, you know, certainly with USC, you knew several years ahead of time. And with Nebraska and ASU, certainly by last year, that, that those coaches, Clay Helton, Scott Frost, and, and Herm Edwards are not the answer. Um, and so the reason they're now getting fired two, three games into a season is because you've already delayed it so much to begin with. I don't, as, as we get more and more into this trend of firing coaches early, you start to realize it's not about getting a jump start on the process. Um, it's frankly, you could wait another month and it wouldn't make that much of a difference. It's that the fan base was already pretty much given up on them. You give them one more chance and, and Herm Edwards loses to Eastern Michigan and whatnot. And like, you just gotta, you gotta stop the bleeding. You know, you can't keep dragging this out. So I will give some credit in this situation to like a lot of the, you know, he's mentioning Tennessee, Auburn, SEC schools where they're just, the buyout is no um, obstacle. They just do it. But you had a situation in the Pac-12 last year with Jimmy Lee, Jimmy Lake, where, you know, Jen Cohen, the AD fired him at, not, you know, I, in his second season, but the first season was only four games. So he was three on one in the first four games. Yeah. So, so, so from the outside, like, Clay Helton and, and these other people were given way more of a chance to uh, to write the ship than he was. But, you know, she realized it wasn't it wasn't working out. And so she went ahead and cut bait. And and I know it's early, but Kalen DeBoer seems to seems to be an answer. So um, I'm not advocating for firing coaches early. I think it's more like if you already know it's inevitable, you got to just pull the trigger. Well, look, a couple of these situations, there's three right now that are really hot seats now that certainly Herm is out at ASU, and that's Auburn. Brian Harson hasn't been there very long. I don't think he's going to be much there much longer. You know, if they lose to Missouri this weekend, I, I would suspect they'll probably pull the plug right then and there. If not, I would suspect they do it within a month. Um, Colorado, they're basically Rick George put out a statement, the AD. I think they're just looking to see if they can raise money to – they feel like that's not working out with Carl Durrell. And then Jeff Collins, I think it's only a, maybe even a matter of days. But the thing that's complicated that a little bit is the AD is also really on the hot seat at Georgia Tech. 
So, you know, those are three power five schools. And like, those are the ones once you get past those three, I'm not sure which is like something that is as scorching hot, but I mean, I feel like those things, I don't want to use the word imminent, but they are, they're close to happening. And I would be surprised if, if any of those three coaches made it to Halloween. Um, wow. You know, so. Yeah. I mean, it used to be that you, you know, even if things were looking bad, you waited till the end of the season. Obviously those days are gone. Um, gosh, I remember <laughs> this never happens anymore, but when Jeremy Foley fired Ron's, no, that's not a good example. Yes, that is a good example. Correct me if I'm wrong. When Jeremy Foley fired Ron Zook like seven or eight games into the season, he let he still let him coach the rest of the season. You know, now it's like as soon as they're fired, they're gone. They're never heard from again. Um, but yeah, it was not uncommon back then to just say, okay, he's going to be fired at the end of the season, but he's going to coach the rest of the year. Um, Look, I mean, LSU did that last year with that Ogeron. He didn't coach the bowl game. Yeah. Coached, you know, I think they, I think the thing there was, you know, he had a, he had a win over Florida. And then I think the feeling was we, sh- we made up our mind. We do not want him rallying the team. And then all of a sudden it's awkward. And if yeah. we're being honest, Scott, Wood- Scott Woodward had made up his mind on Ed Ogeron. Scott Woodward no, made before. Up, Yeah, I think he made up his mind before they even opened the season. Last you year. mentioned real quick how the Georgia Tech AD Todd Stansbury might be in trouble too. I don't understand, you know, I don't understand. In, in, so like USC, you know, a new AD came in. What the, the AD who hired Clay Helton wasn't the one who had to decide whether to fire him. But um, Trev Alberts is relatively new at Nebraska. But Ray Anderson, the ASU AD, is the one who hired Herm Edwards in the first place, despite the fact he had no college coaching experience and, and had been out of coaching altogether for, for years. You, you mentioned Carl Durrell. Rick George is the one who, now granted, Mel Tucker left in February, so maybe they felt like their options were limited, but hired Carl Durrell, who was a big disappointment at UCLA and hadn't been back in college since, and gave him a guaranteed contract that they're now going to have to try to get out of. and. You know, shouldn't the AD, uh, I'm not, again, like I'm not fire everybody kind of thing, but in those situations, the ADs are as culpable as the coaches. Uh, Yeah. Interestingly enough, Rick George was a candidate for the big 12 commissioner job. Not, you know, a couple of months ago, obviously it didn't end up get, they went to somebody else. Um, But yeah, that was a, I thought that was a really curious hire when they made it. It was bizarre. If as far as I could tell, the only. The biggest reason, like we say, okay, why Carl Durrell to Colorado? He, cause he lives near there because <laughs> he had a house near Boulder and he was already there. So, I mean, um, of those three we mentioned, Stu, um, you have, you have Herm, obviously we were both kind of shocked when they hired him mm-hmm. at Carl Durrell. We were both pretty stunned when they hired him. You have Brian Harson, who honestly, I think I was pretty surprised. I was like, that seems like a really odd fit. Yep. You know, like those are Jeff Collins. I wasn't, I, I didn't dislike that hire because I think he had a lot of energy. He's a really good recruiter. He had some, I, he had some, uh, you know, he's creative thinker. Um, you know, he made, and he had ties to the area. That one, I, I'm not saying I expected him to go, go in there and, and turn out to be Dave Aranda or something because, but it just, hasn't worked um yeah i mean look there's plenty of times when we all think they made a school made a great hire and it doesn't work out and scott frost would be a great example of that but nine times out of ten 
when everybody on the outside is like, yeah, I don't, I don't get that. That's a really weird hire. Less miles at Kansas being one recently. <laughs> it ends up being exactly as Kansas. Yeah, it, it doesn't. And it makes you wonder like, how can the, if it's so obvious to us sports writers who aren't, you know, in it, how do these ADs, this is their job. <laughs> how do they screw it up so badly? I don't. Um, and there are exceptions. I think people, you know, the most famous one being, you know, everybody was pretty down on the Pete Carroll hire at USC and uh, that worked out pretty well. There've been exceptions like that. I, I get a lot of flack to this day. Every time Arkansas wins a big game, people recirculate my tweet uh, where I panned that hire at the time. He's obviously been great. So I'm not saying we hit a home run, but like some of these really, really like, does anybody really expect when they hired Carl Durrell that he was going to lead Colorado to glory? I mean, no, I, I feel like we're more likely to get the zinger um, right than we are. Like to me, the good example, Steve Adazio. Yeah. Steve Adazio to Colorado state was a, was a disastrous hire that almost anybody could see that coming. Um, the hire that like, I'll be honest that I did not think was going to work out as well as it did. And it's because of a short sample size at Ohio state was Luke fickle. I mean, that's been a tremendous hire for them. Um, what was the one you just mentioned a, a bit ago? Not Pete Carroll in between. There was a higher. Oh, Sam Pittman. I, I'm yeah. surprised. I'm not. I didn't think. I don't know if I thought he was going to be a disaster. I didn't think he would be this good. Um, and so Sam Pittman is an example of uh, clearly the AD shut out. You know, outside perspectives and didn't get because a lot of time, a lot of the ones we're talking about is clearly like these ADs. They have egos and they want to make a big splash, right? I mean, Ray Anderson was Herm, Herm Edwards' agent when he was an NFL coach. Um, I'm sure who, who, I can't even remember now. There's been so many Kansas ADs, which one hired Charlie Weiss, but I'm sure he looked at oh, it as it like, it was uh, Shannon Zinger or Zager? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, he's probably like, look, we got the former Notre Dame coach. This is, this is great. Um, Sam Pittman completely under the radar, no profile, but clearly, uh, you know, they, they saw something in him. Mel Tucker, I mean, give Col the same AD who I just ripped for Carl Durrell, give him credit for identifying Mel Tucker. By the way, uh, uh, yeah. Bill, Bill Fulmer had the choice between Mel Tucker and, and Justin Pruitt. <laughs> Jeremy Pruitt. <laughs> Jeremy Pruitt. Who's Justin Pruitt? Where did that come from? <laughs> so, uh, had the choice between those two, and he definitely picked the wrong door. Um, yeah. I, I, you know, it's, the one thing that you said, and it kind of – reminds me i feel like we tend to be wrong most when we go on short sample size mm -hmm. anything tom would, herman two seasons as a tom herman a, two seasons scott frost two seasons jimmy lake no no i actually didn't remember jeff collins was a two-season guy at temple wow yeah. yeah i mean so it's the short sample size or or almost or it's a first-time head coach those are the ones where where they're learning on the job you know, where I feel like it's, it's less likely, you know, there's, there's definitely more risk there. Right. So I don't know. The jury's still right. out on some of these, but. Yeah. Let me move to John treat from Brooklyn, New York. Hey guys, I know the conference likely doesn't have the top end national title contender that other conferences do Ohio state, Michigan, et cetera. But is it reasonable to say that the PAC 12 is the second best conference in the country this year? They have USC, Utah, Oregon, and Washington at the top. And solid teams like Oregon State, UCLA, Arizona, who would have thought they'd be mentioned as a solid team, but they've got two good wins, and Washington State. Um, I had a stat in the mailbag yesterday that 
Um, the Pac-12 has so the Pac-12 has three non-conference wins over top 25 teams, and that is their most through week three since 2012. So I definitely think that they are off to a better start than usual. Um, but second best conference, let's think about that. He's basically, I assume the first best is the SEC. So he's suggesting the Pac-12 is a better conference this year than the Big Ten, for one. It's an interesting point because if you look, now obviously there's no divisions of the Pac-12 this year. The, the Big Ten still has divisions, still. Um, and you look at that, we talked about this the other day, the Big Ten East, everybody but Michigan State is 3-0. and um, Michigan hasn't played anybody, but they've been impressive, as impressive as you can be playing with no one. Uh, uh, you know, Ohio State, I think, is still is pretty much Ohio State. I know they struggle with what now looks like a not-so-good Notre Dame team. But after that, I mean, Penn State, nice win. I mean, John Hayes just, just – we talked way too much about Penn State there with John about the reasons for skepticism on their start. So let's talk about the Pac-12. USC really hasn't played anybody either. But USC really hasn't played anybody either. I mean, Stanford is okay. Fresno State, Jay Kaner got hurt. Um, then it was Rice. They've been about as impressive offensively as you can be, given they played nobody. Um, Oregon State, like what we've seen from Jonathan Smith, you say he's 3-0, but they, they haven't played anybody, and they struggle with South Alabama last They have week. not been a particularly impressive 3-0. No. Uh, Washington has been impressive. I mean, I talked to Kalen DeBoer yesterday for a while. I'm not ready to say that they're going to be a playoff team, but right now, Michael Penix Jr. is playing really well. They have really good receivers. They have a pretty good offensive line. They seem to have their mojo back. They're interesting. Washington State, good win at Wisconsin. And as you said, Arizona, I know they lost to Mississippi State at home, but that's a good team they just beat the other day in, it's a, in North Dakota State. And so you look at this group here and, you know, we're talking about Oregon who got embarrassed week one, but has bounced back and got, you know, helped the Pac-12 a lot by beating BYU. So if I look at all this, we haven't even mentioned Utah, right? So I don't, I'm not ready to say the top, like if you, if you just kind of rattle off, all right, who are the top four teams in the, in the Pac-12 right now? I don't know if you can put Oregon and Utah in there just because they both have a loss, but you match them up with the top four of the big 10. I feel like they matched up pretty well. I don't know who's beating Ohio state. Yeah. I don't think they have an Ohio state in their conference, Um, but like, I mean, right now, Washington state, Washington has been as impressive as, I mean, I don't know, Washington at Michigan on a neutral field. I would probably pick Michigan, but I'm not like after last week, I'm not that, um, sure. Like again, well, Michigan hasn't played anybody yet. One of the tough things about these comparisons is obviously the Big Ten's a better, a bigger conference. I, I think so. I just looked at the Sagarin ratings. Granted, they're not, you know, through three games that 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 can be a little bit deceiving data. But they've got four pack. He's got four Pac-12 teams in the top fifteen and six in the top forty. Big Ten four in the top fifteen, eight in the top forty. Uh, <laughs> Take that for what it was a bit of a grain of salt has ranked number 32 in the Sagarin ratings is the Iowa Hawkeyes. Um, also, keep in mind that there's more teams that we're, we're working out to. I'm going to say not better than the Big Ten, but certainly a strong number three right now. Closed. Yeah. And but I'm also not going to throw out the Big 12 just yet. 
Big 12 teams just don't play good non-conference schedules like the Pac-12 does. So it's hard to it's it's hard, often hard to get a good read. Now, obviously, Oklahoma, you schedule Nebraska, you think they're going to be better than that. Texas played Alabama, but um, I don't I just don't have a great sense of how I think there are a lot of strong teams in the Big 12. I don't have a sense of kind of how they stack up relative to the best teams in other conferences. I also think as it relates to the Pac-12, I don't know how much more uh, juice they're going to get in this discussion because the one game that typically would be a okay, an out-of-conference game that people will, will give some credence to is Notre Dame-USC. Right now, you know, Notre Dame, what are they going to be, a six- or seven-win team this year, it feels like? I don't know you're not going to get much of a boost. You're not going to get really any boost if you win that game now that Marshall beat him at home, you know, unless they go on this roll with a, you know, with a backup quarterback and and come into that game at nine and two. I just don't, I just don't see a lot of opportunities here for them to really cash in on um, the expectation of what is, how much better is the PAC 12? Cause I think they're going to be playing each other now. We're very popular in Brooklyn this week, Bruce. You want to read the next one? This is from Curie H. in Brooklyn, New York. I know Michigan State ran into a buzzsaw and were probably overranked, but unlike many who said that the game, quote, wasn't as close to the final score, I actually thought Sparty played hard to the final whistle. Their fourth fourth quarter goal line stand wasn't something you see from a team down big on the road. Peyton Thorne is no C.J. Stroud, but he left it all on the field and got his team to 11 points down within four minutes to go. The silver lining to missing Jaden Reed may have been the Michigan State offense finding out how good Keon Coleman really is. Going out on a limb and saying they will upset one of the Big Ten teams ranked ahead of them in the AP this week. Thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to rule out Michigan State. I mean, they they that's a you know tough game going on the road. Washington's clearly better than we thought. I will say that obviously Kenneth Walker was such a huge part of Michigan State's success last year. Um, they got two good transfers in Jalen Berger and Jarek Broussard, but I don't think they're they're Kenneth Walker. And you wonder how much of Peyton Thorne's success last year was the fact that defenses had to key on Kenneth Walker. So um, they overachieved last year, Michigan state. I mean, they won 11 games. They won a New Year's six bowl. And I don't know that anybody thought they were quite there last year yet going into year two. So I wonder if we're going to see a little bit of a regression to the mean this year, but you know, I don't come away from it. Like, Oh, Michigan state's terrible. They're going to go four and eight. I just don't think they're going to be a new year six team. Um, if we put the over under on wins at 8.5 for the year right now, would you take the over? No, I take the under because I just because you know I haven't looked at their schedule, but I know they're going to play Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan. So you know, I think best case scenario they win one of those three. And what and do you two think? Of those three games are on the road, and the one that's home is Ohio State. The other thing that's a little tricky when I'm looking at it. So after this, they have Minnesota. They're not easy to play, and then they got to go to Maryland, who has a lot of firepower and they're kind of dangerous. I mean. I don't know if they win both of those games that doesn't include Wisconsin. And then like, I feel like the, like Illinois is not awful. You have like enough teams in there who I feel like are, are pretty competitive. And to me right now, the challenge for Michigan state is their defense was really shaky last year and it got lit up the other day in Seattle. 
um, they're going to play some really explosive offenses coming up, right? And that, to me, is going to be a challenge. They got pressure in the first couple of weeks on the quarterback. They didn't weren't able to do that last week like that. And I think when you when you're talking about what they're seeing now, you know, you got a really experienced quarterback in Minnesota with a great running back. You got a good quarterback and great receivers and a good running back at Maryland. Obviously, Ohio State is Ohio State. We see how explosive Michigan is. Um, and we're not even getting into Penn State late in the year. I mean, I don't know. I think it's going to be hard for them to get to eight wins, to be honest, this year. Yep. So when you said, you said what, eight and a half? Yeah, so, I wouldn't have taken the over. I would take the no, under, absolutely. I think it's more seven and a half would be the trickier one. Uh, David from Charlotte, Bruce and Stewart, with all the craziness in the first three weeks of the season, which group of five conference sets up the best to send their champion to a New Year's Six Bowl game? With the future Big 12 teams from the AAC all suffering losses, does that leave room for a t- potential Sunbelt program or Mountain West program to make it in instead of the usual AAC champ? It's definitely been a rough start for the AAC, especially Houston, who uh, people had a lot of high expectations for. So what do you think? Will the champs still come from the AAC or are we looking at uh, uh, Fun Belt or Mountain West? Man, you know, you obviously had App State got a big win. Um and Marshall got a nice win. I mean, obviously Notre Dame's not great this year, but those were those were really good wins. I think they're going to pluck each other off. You know, I I I think Coastal Carolina is, is the class of the league, but I don't. You know, they got to go to Marshall. You think? Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. You think Coastal Carolina is is better than this year? Better yes. than all? Yeah, I'm going to disagree with you there. Um, they have Grayson McCall, obviously, but they lost a ton from that core that that um that led them to so much success the last few years and it's a tough conference i mean i don't they didn't even win the conference last year right louisiana has won uh they no, won louisiana it last year lost, you want to talk about losing a lot of guys louisiana yeah. lost a lot of guys, so. here's us you know i mean here's coastal carolina start so far 38 28 over army 31 27 over gardner webb 38 26 over buffalo um Thursday all, night game this Army, week on a short Army's week. What's yeah, that? Beating Army's not a bad win. And I just no. don't think I think they have the best player in the league and their quarterback. They have two good running backs. They're gonna, you know, they're gonna average probably seven yards or six yards a carry just because that offense is good and those players fit. Um, you know, I, I App State, I think, is good. I don't think there's a huge gap with them. That's my point. To me, like I think they're the best team in the league, but again. You know, also when they play Marshall, Marshall may have the best player in the league back by that point, Rasheen Ali, who's a great running back who's been out. So, and, uh, you know, so I mean, it certainly wasn't a good sign that Louisiana lost to Rice. So, I mean, everybody's excited about the Sun Belt and they should be. And, and you know, those, some of those non conference wins are going to help the league. Uh, but there's nobody in the AAC right now. Cincinnati got a loss. They actually struggled early on with Miami, Ohio. You know, the only one who's undefeated is Tulane, who had a nice win last week. I don't, I just don't see Tulane running the table. Um, well, you don't have to be undefeated to to get the New Year's Six berth. You just have to be the highest ranked conference champ. Um, it's, look, there's not an obvious, uh, there's not an obvious one out there, to say the least. Um, I was about to say Air Force, and then I realized they lost to Wyoming last week, so you know, Fresno State's got a couple of L's already. San Diego State, poof, not good. Not good this year. Um, 
I'm going to, I'm inclined to think that the team comes out of the Sun Belt. I don't know which team is going to win that conference. You like, so you, you're with me. You think it could be, you, you're on the coastal bandwagon or not? No, I, I no, I, I think that I'm saying the Sun Belt champ, whoever that may be, but I don't, I mean, I would lean toward App State right now. And if it is App State with a win over AM on their resume, they probably are going to be the highest ranked group of five team, but um can i throw a wild card at you this yeah is I, there, go ahead yeah it's a program we've not yet talked about they were awful when this guy took over they were awful early on in his tenure but they quietly got out to a pretty nice start and that's marcus arroyo's unlv rebels holy um, cow that would be the story of the season if that they, happened oh, yeah they almost beat cal doug brumfield was putting up pretty big numbers they blew out north texas the other day now they got to go to utah state who's been you know has been licking its wounds since playing at alabama um but you know like they haven't they've been awful for a while and they're two and one and like i said they're they're not far from being three and oh with a win over a pac-12 school they've been awful for a long long time um that North Texas score definitely caught my attention. Um, I don't think Utah State's very good this year. How about this? October. I think they were banged up bad by the Alabama body blow thing. How about this, Bruce? UNLV on October 22nd plays at Notre Dame. Notre Dame having some issues. What if UNLV... One of the worst teams in the country over the past several years goes to South Bend and shocks the Irish. Then they would definitely be my pick. Okay. Heck, they almost they they played Cal close and Cal played Notre Dame close, so the old ter- transitive property game. We have time um, for one more question. Steve. Okay. All right. This I like that very last one. If you're thinking of one more. Okay. This question from Gordon Cameron in Burlington, Ontario. Good day, gentlemen. Given the trend towards non-traditional hires for conference commissioners, who among college football journalists and media personalities do you think would be the best choice to be the new commissioner of the Mountain West Conference? I have a suggestion. I'm curious yours. Who's your suggestion? Well, my suggestion is Rod Gilmore, the Hmm. lawyer from Stanford who went to Cal and Stanford, lifelong West Coast guy. I think he, you know, everything with NIL and a lot of governance issues, Rod has looked at it from all sides. I think I'm not trying to say that he's going to gobble up some other Pac-12 schools because he he's a lifelong Pac-12 guy. But if you ask me one person in this space who I feel like is versed in it, again, has a legal background, has been in has been in football. And by the way, he was a baseball player at Stanford too. He would be my top candidate. Well, that that's a very legitimate answer. You're gonna give uh, me. You're gonna give me some sports writer who doesn't have like ketchup on his shirt, and you're gonna feel proud of yourself. That's until I blew you out of the water with that, right? Yeah. Well, my nominee is Ari Wasserman. Oh, uh, I, I think that the Mountain West needs to be bold in this ever changing landscape, and and Ari, you know, he is not shy with his opinions. He's basically given Kenny Dillingham the the Arizona State job already. Um, he has very very strong opinions about fast food. So yes, let's put him in the in a in, char- in charge of a college football conference, and like he's just going to cut through the BS and he's going to make the decisive d- moves that that a commissioner. I was originally going to say Andy, but then I decided it would be more original to say Art. Cut through the BS. He will sit down at the negotiating table with the with the with the bigger with some filet fish, filet fish sandwiches, at, yeah. and and looks at him and go. How about if I drink this whole jar of pesto? 
How about you let us <laughs> like that? It's not going to work that way, Stu. So you're looking for a more reasoned take of somebody who could, I don't even know if the Mountain West has a TV deal coming up soon, but negotiate a TV deal. Maybe think about realignment in a, you know, modernize NIL. Rick Rod Gilmore is a, is a perfectly good choice. Um, I put no thought into this, didn't you? You put no thought into this. Well, I didn't know you were going to give it a serious answer. I didn't seem like a, it, it, I didn't get the sense he was looking for a serious answer because they're not going to hire a media Be personality. Honest, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't even let Ari run run the dr- fantasy draft of the athletic college football writers if it was up to you. Um, that's all, that to me is, no, okay. Um, let me think through. <laughs> it's a serious responsibility. Okay. All right. I'll give you a, 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 a media person who would do the job diligently and a smart John Wilner. Now I know John is a PAC 12 thing. You know, he's the PAC 12 guru, but there's some overlap there. Obviously he has spent a lot of time writing and reporting about, for instance, San Diego state PAC 12 type expansion candidates. He knows, he knows the business of realignment and media deals and whatnot cold. Um, you know, if you're looking for, for the more a sports writer, but a sports writer who I think could seriously do the job, that's my nominee. Okay. We have much respect for John Wilmer. He's, he's been in the business a long time. He it's a, yeah. And now I feel like bad. Cause I, you made me bash Ari. Well, you know, he already thinks you've blacklisted him from the, or blackballed him from the podcast. So <laughs> um, now, now you've just, you've done him no more favors, but um, you can send your questions to the audible pod at gmail.com the, during the season. It is our, it is the focal point of our Wednesday episodes, other than when John Hayes is, you know, he's resigning himself to a, to a future of nothing but Penn State Outback Bowls. Um, we'll see you guys next time. Mm-hmm.